Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, happy Easter, everyone. I love Easter. I love celebrating spring. Not that that's what Easter is about, but I love that the sun is out, the temperatures are getting warm, the flowers are coming out. I love all of that, but really what we celebrate as Christians at Easter is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, everybody uh, everybody puts on special outfits. If you go down south, there are women that have these big hats that they wear for Easter. It's, a, it's an Easter tradition. Uh, people are giving candy and baskets and all kinds of things to celebrate this holiday. And of course, we show up at church as well. And around the world, Christians are gathered, and you'll hear them say things like, he is risen, and they'll respond, he is risen indeed, because what Easter is all about is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and he conquered death. It's really a victory celebration uh, for Jesus, and uh, the fact that we win, and, uh, and, and that he conquered death and sin, and, and uh, it secured eternity for people who would be his followers, and it's a huge celebration, but you know, the first Easter really wasn't like that at all. In fact, those early Christians at that first Easter, they weren't even Christians, uh, they had lost their faith in Jesus. Um, no one was happy. No one was celebrating. Nobody even showed up for the first service. Nobody was at the grave on Sunday morning. Um, they, nobody was expecting an empty tomb. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, and the one who was going to come and, and save them and kick out the Romans and, and restore Israel to, his, to its glory. They had hoped for that. They had hoped for it so much that they were willing to leave their families and their businesses and their careers and follow Jesus around the country for three years. And it was kind of an up and down ride as they, they followed him around the country over those three years. Uh, he, he, when he walked on water, that was kind of the apex of, oh my goodness, you are the son of God. They, they were pretty sure at that point. But then not too long later, Jesus talked about in, a, in this teaching about how his body was real food and his blood real drink and everybody left. And he turned to the handful of people who were left and said, are you going to leave too? And they're like, well... I guess we're going to stick around because they had hoped, they had hoped that he was the one they were expecting. They didn't follow him because of what he taught. They didn't understand. At the time, they didn't understand half of what he taught. They didn't follow him for the miracles. They followed him because they hoped he was the Messiah. And now, now he had been crucified. You know, he had been turned over to the Romans. The Romans executed him on a cross, and he was dead. And here's what they knew. You can't crucify the Son of God. You don't execute the light of the world. The, the Son of Man is not, not, not someone that you can kill. And so Jesus was dead, and it was over. The jig was up. They were wrong about him. What they realized on that first Easter morning is that they had wasted three years of their lives following another false Messiah that the Romans had taken care of. It was over. How do I know that? How do I know that's where they were in their headspace and emotionally? I know that because, again, they didn't show up to the tomb on Sunday morning. He had told them 
He was going to suffer and that he would and die and that he would rise on the third day, but nobody came. In fact, they were locked away in a house hoping that the, the religious leaders and the, and the Romans didn't come and track them down and do to them what they had done to Jesus. They were hiding in fear. And then the women who went to the tomb later that morning, they went taking spices to embalm Jesus's body. They were planning on a, uh, an embalm, embalming um, his body and burying him permanently. Again, that first Easter morning was pretty depressing. Can you imagine three years of following somebody around and then realizing it was all for naught? Jesus turned out to be just another self-proclaimed Messiah that the Romans killed. There were others, actually. There were other self-proclaimed messiahs that the Romans killed, and we don't know any of their names. Now, as a side note, 2,000 years later, we know Jesus' name, and we'll talk a little bit about why here in a moment. But at that point in time, that first Easter morning, they just thought it was over. And I love their honesty. I love how they document the story. You know, they write themselves in. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, the stories about Jesus' life and, and, and his death and resurrection. You know, they, they don't write themselves in as the heroes. They don't write themselves in as, hey, we had this unshakable faith we knew all along, you know, setting themselves up to be leaders. They're just really honest about it. You know, there was a guy named Thomas who, um, we know him as Doubting Thomas, that expression, it comes from Thomas because they wrote Thomas in as, a, as someone who doubted, and they all had doubts. When the women went to embalm Jesus' body on that morning, and they ran into some angels, and they came back and told, the, they told everybody at the, the house that they were locked in that, that, uh, that he was alive, they thought that the women were just talking nonsense, that they were out of their mind. Um, they just didn't believe. But then something happened, right? That first Easter, everybody's depressed, but within weeks, you find the same group of people out on the street proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead and that they had seen him. They, they go toe-to-toe with the people that they're hiding from on that first Easter morning. Now they're, they're in front of them in court going, he was the Messiah, you crucified him, and he has risen from the dead. And they are unafraid, and they don't know what to do with them, but they're not afraid of, of dying anymore. And in fact, many of them, most of them, go on to die for what they have claimed to see. And the question is, what happened? How do we go from that first Easter where everybody's depressed and they just think the, the whole gig is up to 2,000 years later, we're celebrating and he has, a, has risen, he has risen indeed. And, and really, it wasn't too long after that, that that celebration began. Well, I'd suggest to you, their eyes were open to some things. And that's what I want to look at today. And they saw the risen Jesus. And everything changed for them. You know, on that first Easter, I'm guessing sometime late morning, maybe early afternoon, there were a couple of his followers who left Jerusalem, and they were walking to a little town about seven miles away called Emmaus. Uh, and as they're traveling along, Jesus comes up to them and starts walking with them along the road. And, and he's, they're, they're kept from recognizing him. They don't, the Scripture doesn't explain how or or even why, but we know they don't recognize him. But he, he initiates a conversation with him. And we'll be in Luke chapter 24 and verse 17. And uh, that's where we'll start. And this is what Jesus said. It says, 
he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So Jesus is just kind of kind of probing them a little bit, and they, and they stood still, their faces downcast, so you see they're, they're pretty bummed out. Again, it, it's over. One of them named Cleopas, we'll call him Cleo, he a- asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, Jesus kind of playing dumb there a little bit. Oh, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But but get this, in verse 21 it says, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped that he was the one that the prophets had wrote about that would come from God and and redeem Israel and, and rescue Israel. And in their day and age, they interpreted that as kicking out the Romans and restoring Israel to its glory, and he would be the king and all of that. But obviously that hadn't happened. He was crucified by the Romans, and it was over. And they, they go on, they say, and what is more, it is, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And that's the, that's the event where the women come back and, and they're like, you're out of your minds. That, you know, Crucified people don't come back from the dead. Well, it goes on. He, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, they had their expectation of what the Messiah was going to be, and they interpreted it, they, they made that interpretation through their current events and what they wanted him to be. They wanted him to be a political and military liberator. And, and what Jesus has to do now is recalibrate their expectation of who this Messiah was supposed to be and what he had to go through because they just were overlooking those parts of it. He goes on, he said, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So I envision Jesus walking along with Cleo and his buddy, and we'll call it his buddy George. We don't really know his name, but George and Cleo sound good. So they're walking along with Jesus, and Jesus is talking to them, and he starts, it says he opened the scriptures to them, and, and he starts to explain to them what the Messiah had to go through. And, um, and so I, I can just picture Jesus as they're walking along going, going, Remember that first night, that Thursday, you know, remember Thursday night when, when the temple guard showed up and arrested me, I mean him, and, uh, and, and, and everybody scattered? Well, that was, that was written about. In fact, every part of what happened from Thursday to, to Sunday was written about hundreds of years before it happened. And so Jesus, Jesus is like, look, if you remember everybody scattered, well, the prophet Zechariah wrote about that in Zechariah 13. He's, he said, God will strike the shepherd and his sheep will scatter. And this is about the, uh, this is a messianic prophecy. And, and, and he says, and remember when he w- went before the Sanhedrin 
And then before Pilate, he didn't say anything. He was just quiet. He took all those false accusations. You remember that? That was only a couple days ago. You remember, right? Yeah. Well, that was talked about in the prophets as well. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah wrote about that in, in Isaiah 53. He said, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before shearers, he never said a word. And I Okay, tick, tick, this is, this is all kind of coming together. And then and they said, remember how they beat him and spit on him and mocked him? Remember that? Yeah, remember that. Well, that had to happen too. Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before, wrote, I offer my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. And Jesus is like, so you see, this, is, this was all Part of the book, like you, you, we read past those before, but this was part of how this thing had to go down. And then he said, and then do you remember how they nailed him to the cross? Well, of course, we remember how they, na- they nailed him to the cross. Yeah, well, David prophetically wrote about that in Psalm 22 when he said, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs, an evil gang closes in on me, they have pierced my hands and feet. And Jesus might have even said, you know, when David wrote those words, crucifixion hadn't been invented yet. Like there was no reason to pierce somebody's hands and feet. But yet David, 900 years before, wrote this down, explicitly laying out what a crucifixion might look like. We also see, uh, we also see in... in um, In Psalm 22, verse 14, David writing again about crucifixion. My life is poured out of me like water. This is a great description of crucifixion. My life is poured out of me like water. You remember when they pierced his side and the water and the blood came out? And all my bones are out of joint. That's what happens when you're crucified is eventually your, your muscles give out and your bones come out of joint as you're hanging there excruciating detail, David's writing 900 years before. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Thirst would be part of it. And remember, Jesus, Jesus would have said to the guys, remember how he asked for something to drink? And they didn't give him water, but they gave him wine mixed with gall. Well, in Psalm 69, verse 21, the, the It's written that they offer me sour wine for my thirst. And then, do you remember, guys? Do you remember how he, do you remember how he, he just hung there and everybody looked around and mocked him and and they said, let God come and save him. Let's walk away. And if if he really is the king of the Jews, then then God will save him. And how David wrote in Psalm 22, everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on God? Then let the Lord save him. Play by play by play, scene by scene by scene, all spoken about beforehand. And then remember how they, they, they uh, took his clothes and they, they divided them up, but then they they cast lots for that one piece. 
And David again in Psalm 22, they divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing 900 years before it happened. All laid out. And then you, you, know, how, you know how crucifixion goes, guys, because they would have. That was something that they would have known in their day. You know how it goes. You hang there for a bunch of hours until so, so that you suffer enough, but then they come around so you don't last for days and they break your legs so you can't push yourself up to get a breath. But when they got to Jesus, he was already dead and they didn't break his legs. And how the psalmist wrote in, in uh, Psalm 34, for the Lord protects the bones of the righteous, not one of them is broken. And then do you remember, guys, do you remember how darkness came over the whole land when he, when he died? Yeah, that was written about too. The prophet Amos wrote about that. In that day, says the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day. Guess what? The sun, guys, went down at noon and it stayed down for at least three hours. We, we know, actually, modern, modern reference here. We have historical documents from outside the Bible that tell us that 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 eclipse or whatever it was reached all the way to Greece that day. It happened, but it was written about hundreds of years beforehand. And then do you remember how strange it was that Joseph of Arimathea, you know, Joseph, Jesus' secret disciple, he, he was part of the religious elite. He was a powerful man, a wealthy man. Somehow he got Pilate to give him Jesus' body, but that's, that doesn't usually happen. Usually, a crucified person, part of their punishment is to be thrown on the trash heap and eaten by dogs. It's part of the humiliation of the whole thing. But Joseph called in a favor from Pilate and got Jesus' body and put Jesus in his tomb. And Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 wrote, again, 700 years beforehand, he was put in a rich man's grave. So why would it be Guys, you, Cleo and George, you guys are awfully depressed and, and, and can't really get your head around the fact that he rose from the dead and that the women are kind of out of their, their minds. Why would it be such a far stretch that he would rise from the dead? I mean, if he would fulfill every one of those prophecies, scene by scene. And you know what? It's been written that he would rise from the dead. In Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. And you can just feel, and Cleo and, and George, you know, later on in this passage, if you want to go read it, you can go read it later, but it says that they, when they were talking to Jesus, they still don't recognize who he is, but they, when they were talking to him as he was opening the scriptures to them, they could feel something burning inside of them. And, and, and it's like this hope coming alive inside of them. And so what if he is alive, Jesus would have said to them. And what if he came for something bigger than just to be a political and military leader? What if, what if he came for something bigger than you were thinking, but this was the path to get there? And so he starts laying that out, and he takes them to Isaiah 53 and says this in, in, in verse 10. It says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In other words, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, but he will, he will, uh, he will live on. And in verse 11, it says, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. In other words, he will carry their sins for them. That's what iniquities means. He's going to bear the punishment for the things they've done wrong. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. In other words, he walked into this execution unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He was hung between two thieves. And then it says, for he bore the sin of many. See, the Jewish people were expecting a military and a political liberator. But God had sent them a spiritual liberator, and not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. See, for these guys, it was all over because he was, he was dead. He was hung on a cross, and you don't crucify the Messiah. But Jesus opens their minds and says, no, 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 that's the reason the Messiah came in the first place. Because sin isn't just a Jewish condition. It is a universal human condition, and it separates us from God. And God loves people. Get this straight. Sometimes people come to church and they're like, well, you know, God's just mad at people and we're just going to try and be good enough to get into heaven. God is not mad at you. He loves people. He wants a relationship with people. He's mad at sin. And sin separates us from him. And he set up for the Jewish people, he set up the law, which included this sacrificial system because the payment for sin was death. So he, he allowed them to sacrifice animals. Sometimes a, a lamb would be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins because something had to die to pay for the sin. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And when he hung on the cross... And he was, and he breathed his last, right before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished, it is complete, it is accomplished. What was accomplished? He fulfilled the law, the final sacrifice, the one sacrifice for all mankind. Because God wants a relationship with you and with me and with, with human beings all over the world. When, when, imagine Jesus probably said to the guys at this point, guys, do you remember when he said that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son? This is what he was talking about. Like that probably hadn't clicked for them to that point, but he gave his only son to be a sacrifice in your place to pay the penalty for your wrongdoings. That if you believe in him, you don't have to perish. You don't have to live eternally separated from God but you can have eternal, everlasting life, and it starts in this life, and it goes on into the next. And I think for these guys, things started clicking. The things that they didn't understand when Jesus was 
with them before. They started to understand because now he's explaining it to them and he's showing them the prophetic evidence for why he had to go through what he went through. And I think Jesus probably turned to him at that point and said, he came to die for you. And the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, just the fulfillment of, of prophecy alone. Statisticians tell us that, that the probability of someone fulfilling just a handful of those prophecies is almost impossible. Jesus fulfilled over 300 over the course of his life. And then we look, you know, 2,000 years later, we look back and we see what happened in the lives of these people who that morning were depressed, dejected, and convinced that they had followed a lie. And we watch them weeks later go toe-to-toe with the people who could have them killed and eventually do, and they don't back down. They had seen Jesus alive. We see Jesus' brother James, who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah when Jesus was alive. I mean, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? And after the resurrection, James declares that his brother is his Lord and ends up being one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. We see the apostle Paul, who had made it his personal mission to wipe Christianity off the face in the early days, off the face of the earth in those early days, who has an encounter with the living Jesus and turns around and ends up planting churches all over the world and writing half the New Testament. As nothing explains this other than they understood prophetically now what was going on. Jesus opened the scriptures to them. They understood what, what this was all about in a way that they didn't before, and they saw Jesus alive. And they all, but John, John lived out his days in jail. The rest of them were executed, crucified, beheaded, tortured to death because they would not deny that Jesus was alive. So, I imagine Jesus at that point looked at, his, looked at these guys and said, so it could be true. Now, if you read on in the story, and I encourage you to do so today, they eventually re- recognize that it's Jesus that they're talking to. Go read it. It's fantastic. But for us, this Easter, the big question is not How are you going to handle COVID protocols at your gathering or celebration? It's not whose house are you going to gather at or what food you're going to eat, although personally I'm doing lamb with mint jelly. It is what are you going to do with Jesus? Because the evidence for the fact that he rose from the dead is overwhelming. He is alive. He is calling you into a friendship and a relationship with God that includes the forgiveness of your sins because he paid for it on the cross. He's calling you to experience the love of God. And God loves you so much that he gave his only son that if you will believe in him and place your faith in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. You won't be condemned but you will be saved for this life and an eternity. And this Easter, if you want to embrace that life, that friendship with God, that forgiveness, I encourage you to tell him so. 
you know, following Jesus is a process, but it begins with a prayer, simply saying, I believe, and I need your help. I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. And so I want to give those of us who want to begin that relationship today an opportunity to begin that relationship today. So let's bow our heads wherever you are, close your eyes, and just pray something along these lines. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came 2,000 years ago. I believe you died in my place, and that was part of the plan the whole time. And I need forgiveness. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that are wrong. Would you come and live in my heart? Would you teach me how to follow you and be my leader and my Lord? In your name I pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.